Welcome to Drinks at the Doll, Episode 7, Bo. You're listening to Drinks at the Doll, a podcast waystation for Lost Girl fans. I'm your host, Stephanie. And I'm Annie. And thank you so much for joining us. We are happy to have a guest with us today, Chris. How's it going, Chris? It's going pretty well. Thank you. You might remember Chris from our first two episodes. She is Chris Jen on Twitter. That's K-R-I-S-G-E-N. And this is the first in a series that a first episode in a series that we're doing on each of the main characters on the show. And we thought it made sense to start with Bo, since, you know, she is the lost girl and all. And while I was planning the series, I realized that we're called Drinks at the Doll, but we actually haven't had a drink on the show. So I dug out my Mr. Boston's Bartender Guide, and I found a drink that I thought would be an appropriate accompaniment to talking about Bo. It's called a Hot Kiss, and it's usually made with coffee, Irish whiskey, creme de menthe, and creme de cacao. It's supposed to be made with hot coffee, but it's like 92 degrees Fahrenheit here in Texas, where Chris and I are. At so, 9 o'clock. <laughs> yes, at 9 o'clock in the evening. So we made ours... And, and we're not too far off in California, where I am, so... So yeah, so we made ours with iced coffee and Jack Daniels instead of Irish whiskey because that's what Chris had. Uh, and so we're calling this drink a cheese suck and we're drinking it out of blue straws. <laughs> I will put the recipe for the drink in the show notes for this episode uh, if you want to take a look. Oh, I so got to get caught up. All I've got is plain water. Next time, girls, next time, we'll all be on the same drink page. <laughs> but if you hear, you know, ice in glasses, that's why. Yes, yes. If you hear the clinkling, clinking of ice, that is why. So I think the best place to start when talking about Bo is the beginning, because within the very few, few first few scenes of the very first episode, it tells us pretty much everything we need to know about Bo as a person, more or less. Don't you think? I do. I do. It's actually a really interesting and, and pretty unique opening section for, or an introduction, I guess, to a character, especially to a main character, because... You know, the first thing we see Bo is, you know, sort of scoping out the situation. And I mean, within like five minutes in the into the first episode, Bo has like killed a guy, <laughs> which I honestly can't think of another show that's ever things like Dexter not included, of course. But the main character that you're supposed to root for has, you know, murdered somebody and and taken the would be victim home to safety. Right, so this, I think, reveals a really, impart a really important part of Hubo is as a person, which is her very protective nature, which we see come out in how she deals with Kenzie. Um, I also really like that beginning for Bo because I like that she's a woman who's taking care of another woman. Also another major theme of the show. Yes, yes. So not that Bo doesn't save men as well, but I think Bo and her relationship with women and sort of being a protector of women is a recurring theme that we see a lot on the show. And we see it within within minutes of the first episode. Yeah, and Bo's very, she's very, what's the word, perceptive. Because she can tell right away, you know, that this guy's a scumbag, that, you know, she's not falling for his tricks, and that, 
you know, and she doesn't judge either. You know, she says she doesn't judge Kenzie. You know, she throws the wallets at her, says, nice sideline you got going. You know, she is who she is, but she's still going to step in there and know right from wrong and uh, save the day, so to speak, in spite of her powers, which she still thinks is is a curse in the first episode. And Chris was saying that she was reading something recently that talked about that, that moment where Bo decides to take Kenzie with her. And that person making the point that, well, Kenzie was just witness to this thing that Bo did, so it benefits Bo to kind of get Kenzie on her side, at least kind of out of the way, so she doesn't reveal her in a way. And while that might have been part of her motivation, I don't think that's the main part of her motivation, because as we see, she intended to run anyway. Right. I I concur. So... So yeah, I, I think when we see Bo taking Kenzie home, that really is her, her protective, compassionate side coming out, realizing that this young woman, yeah, she just saved this young woman from a would-be rapist, but Kenzie's still really incapacitated at that point. She's pretty much falling unconscious as Bo carries her away. So I think that's a really great introduction to who Bo is as a character, and that's one of her big motivators throughout the series is sort of her compassionate, protective nature. And I think we see this a lot in her relationships with her her human companions, friends in particular. Uh, like I said, you know, we see it first with Kenzie, and then we definitely see it manifest with Lauren, uh, where where we see Lachlan, who's come to to take Lauren away, and and Bo tries to fend him off with a knife, saying, you know, Lauren is no one's property. One of my favorite Docubus moments. I love protective Bo. Mm, I heart her. <laughs> no, but it's such a, um, you know, Bo will stand up against anybody, you know, drunk guy at the bar, you know, you know, Lachlan. It's just that, um, in a way, she ha doesn't care about authority or anything when it comes to the people that she cares about. You know, she doesn't care for the rules. She doesn't care for, you know, the long history of the Fae, dark or light. You know, she's going to do what she feels is right by who she loves, and that's what matters. I think what's interesting about Bo's kind of protective nature is that it can sometimes go a little bit dark at times. And I think we've really seen that in season three. The thing is, in season two, there's a scene where Bo basically is forced to kill Nadia. And we see both Nadia and Lauren ask her to kill her, but Bo still hesitates until Nadia, you know, lunges knife in hand towards Lauren, and Bo hesitates not at all. So it is one of those moments of, of extreme protectiveness to the extent that, you know, basically if, if Bo cares for you, Bo will kill for you. You know, we first see sort of dark Bo manifest because of Bo's, Bo being protective of Lauren in, in um, episode 208, which is Death Didn't Become Him. 
is when we see Dark Bow first manifest and, you know, she sucks the chi out of the entire room of people because she, she thought that Lauren was going to be killed. So, again, we see Bo's protective nature sort of bringing out this this darker side of her. And I think we we also see that in season three. Yes. Uh, season three, of course, in episode, I want to say 305. Phase wide shut? Yes, phase wide shut, where uh, both Kenzie and Lauren are being sort of held hostage by the, the bad guys. And and once again, Bo starts going going dark and beats the crap out of those guys. Uh, and and then in, at the end of the, the Dawning episode, where she sucks the chi out of everybody in that room in order to save, to save Dyson, which is, you know, arguably from kind of what I've heard from fans, a, a, a moment that was really troubling mm-hmm. for a lot of fans because... Nobody really seemed to call Bo on the fact that she kind of assaulted them in a way uh, by just grabbing chi from them without really asking. And these were their these were her friends. They weren't they weren't just some some bad people who were going to hurt Dyson, you know. So so definitely, I think Bo's protective nature brings out some darkness in her, which I think is really interesting because at other times her protective nature is what is sort of like good and best about Bo. Just to make a counterpoint to that. And of course, I mean, I I don't know that this is, it's not explicitly stated or anything, but, but I do feel like probably all the people in that room, with the exception of Stella, know that Bo would do the same for them. So, I mean, I don't find it unrealistic that they'd forgive her for doing it. Not that it excuses it, but I do, I do think they all know that if they had been in Dyson's place, Bo would have done the same for them. Yeah, that's a good point. I just, uh, you know, my only thing that I wish I'd seen is like a little snippet of conversation of the group expressing that to Bo, or, you know, it's one of the many missed conversations or things that happened off screen in season three. You know, when it comes to Super Bo or Super Succubus or Dark Bo and her powers, you know, she learned at the end of season one with Aoife to breathe chi back into people, which she used frequently after that. So, you know, how is that different, you know, when she breathes the chi back into people versus what happened at the end of the dawning when she sucks the chi out of everybody she loves and then brings Dyson back from the dead, basically? You know, does the dawning amp up her powers? You know, she says she feels reborn, and renewed, you know, and now she has this control over life and death, which she said in her super scary voice. Um, and what does it have to do with the Wanderer? You know, there's a lot of unanswered questions about Bo's powers and how they continue to evolve and how it evolves around the people that she loves and how they always seem to trigger those dark powers. Does it only work when those that she loves are threatened or could it just happen any time? You know, we don't know. Anyway, it's, it's always fascinating to me. The, uh, constant evolution of Bo's powers and how it's related to her protectiveness of people. I I think the end of the, the dawning episode, well, the dawning episode period, I have a lot of issues with, but the ending of the dawning episode, besides the fact that there's no kind of processing of the fact that Bo just sucked the chi out of a bunch of people she knew and didn't ask them first, and, and that seems kind of rude to me, uh, the fact that 
she says, oh, and now I can control it. Because that's not what I got out of that scene at all. She did not seem to be in, in control in that moment. Agreed. And I always wonder how aware Bo is of what's going on when that takes place. Because at least in the uh, in 208 and whatnot, I think 305 also, Bo doesn't really seem aware of anything that's happened or what she's said. No. Or maybe, maybe seems like vaguely aware of, you know, something happening. But I really don't get the impression that she knows what she says. And so I, I do wonder if she's aware of, well, like, the whole only I can control life, who lives and who dies. I, I wonder if she knows she said that. And I, I also actually kind of wonder if Bo actually said that. You know what I mean? Right. Because it seems to be something speaking through her. Because that, that voice that comes out of her knows things she couldn't know. Like, she talks about her father, and Bo doesn't know anything about her father. Random theory. Bo possessed by her father. <laughs> We're just putting it out there. We're just putting it out there. Speculation. Pure speculation. You know, she, at least in 206 and 305, she she always faints after she gets taken over by the super succubus and seems not to remember anything. And so, yeah, I definitely don't think she's aware of the whole thing. And, you know, that upset a lot of... Um, fans was that, you know, it's the first time she sucked chi from her, you know, human friends, and again, without asking them. So, you know, and she, and if Bo's not in control of it, as, you know, we're kind of pointing out that she might not be, you know, she could have easily killed them. You notice that the humans fell to the ground, but the fae were, the fae in the room were kind of okay. They have more tolerance to Bo's I like that detail. Yeah. I thought that was a really good, either writing or directorial detail to have Lauren and Kenzie fall down, but the Fae not. I'm just going to counterpoint real quick here. Because Bo can redirect Chi, if she had accidentally taken too much, she really could have That's returned true. It. That's true. We've seen yeah. her do it before. Yeah. But, you know, you never know. I mean, I'm like, well, what if she accidentally kills Kenzie or Lauren one day? Yeah, she could bring it back. But, you know, um, that and... You know, if you say she's not aware of what she's doing in uh, the Dawning episode, you know, it makes sense because, you know, she was under all this extreme emotional duress when she comes back with Dyson and he's dead. And I don't think we've ever seen Bo that distraught before in the whole series. And then suddenly she goes to Super Succubus. So there's definitely an emotional element going on, you know, that triggers Bo's. She was she was pretty distraught when she thought Trick had died. Or Trick had died, and and a similar thing happened. She she went dark. So, or when Lauren yep. was about to be killed, you know, she was pretty. You know, again, it's it's a lot of Bo's emotion that goes into the super succubus. So, it's not just an everyday thing. But I'll be really interested to see how that plays into season four. So, but yeah, the power, all her powers, and all the questions we have about it. It's a very murky kind of thing. I know Emily has kind of, you know, laid out some things online, like, does Bo always have to have sex to heal or to, you know, do the succubus kiss or whatnot or what the quote-unquote rules are that apply to it? And I can't get them straight, quite frankly. <laughs> you know, no pun intended. Because um, there's a lot of, like I said, it's a very kind of not amorphous kind of deal when you're talking about Bo's powers. But I like that because it gives room for a lot of interpretation. So it's 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 interesting to me because I think we do see Bo at her darkest in season three, but I think she also has some really great 
bow moments in season three, even though I, I know a lot of people feel she was maybe acting a bit out of character during during some of that season. But I thought in in the episode where in episode three eleven Adventures in Fabysitting. I thought when when Bo Mercy killed the duppy at the end of the episode, that was an, mm-hmm. a very Bo moment. It was, you know, her protectiveness and her compassion coming out. And she's just so, it's so, like, gentle and beautiful. I thought Anna Silk did a wonderful job in that scene. And, and I, you know, that's, that's what I think of when I think of Bo, is somebody who sees somebody who's being used and and saves them in some way or, or, or helps them get out of that situation in some way, whatever way that looks. Can, can I talk about Anna Silk for a second? Of course. Oh, darn. Do we have to? Yes, please. Go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> if, if you have to, right? I know. Uh, Heaven forbid sorry, we talk about the star of the show. <laughs> um, I am so, so glad that they hired Anna Silk. And it's one of those things, and I know Anna Silk has actually said this in interviews before, that, you know, sort of looking at the, you know, the script that she got and sort of reading the summary and just, and I think you guys mentioned this on on the uh, Sexuality Podcast with Melanie, that, um, you know, this could have gone so wrong. And, uh, I mean, based on that summary, I don't think I would have really been that interested in this show. But... But she brings such such warmth and and compassion and kindness to Bo that I, I really I really really like Bo. Obviously, I don't think they would have had me on this podcast if if I didn't. Which thank you guys. <laughs> well, yeah, that's the thing. I mean, she's an incredible, compassionate, incredibly compassionate character. Even with all that she's been through and all that's been done to her, she has she retains an incredible sense of morality and, and or a refusal to kill. You know, I was just watching, um, bits of, uh, episode one, uh, 10 where, um, Aoife was killing the guy, the assassin who was going after Bo and she outright kills him. And Bo's like, I'm not going to work with you. What are you doing? She goes, I don't work that way. And Aoife's like, well, this is how it's done. He's, you know, attacking you. And at that time, you know, Saskia, you know, Bo didn't know that was her mother. So, you know, Aoife had her motives, but still that was Aoife's way of thinking versus Bo's. They're on polar opposites as to what their powers, you know, can be used for and what they're capable of, you know, and it's, and you see this throughout the series, um, one of my favorite moments for Bo, and where her her um, choices make a difference, is um, in episode two thirteen, where you have that fabulous sword fight with Lachlan and Bo, and you know they have this whole long extended sword fight, and then he drops his guard and he says, "Fine, do it, kill me," you know, and Bo almost does it. Lachlan's really good at goading Bo on, you know, he's, you know, even with all he's done to Lauren and everything. Calling, calling, calling her, her and her book. mother sluts. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But then Bo refuses to kill him. And then that's how Lachlan knows that Bo is the chosen one. She kicks him in the balls oh, instead, yeah. which I appreciate. Exactly. <laughs> He's still an asshole. I mean, he, did he really have to do that whole roundabout way? Because that, that was my thought going, wow, he really did all that just to piss Bo off enough so that she'd fight for him? It's kind of a roundabout way of doing it, but... And then, um, you know, later he says, well, go and kill the glaive because, you know, this is part of the whole war against the Garuda and she doesn't do it, you know, and she finds a way around it with the glaive's two hearts. So Bo just still retains, you know, moral compass throughout this whole thing. I think it might get harder and harder for her to do with all the challenges that 
the writers continue to throw at the character, but I think that's just good writing. Yeah, and I and I think the the moments you bring up with with Lachlan, both her choosing not to kill him, even though he says go ahead and do it, and and when he says oh go kill kill the glaive, it's easier, and she doesn't do it. I think that's kind of a a symptom of another really important aspect of Bo's personality, which is she tends to be a rule breaker. Or you can I I often think of her as a she's a resistor of binary. She doesn't want to be light or dark. She doesn't want to be straight or gay. She wants to be somewhere in the middle, and and so. We hear this repeated week after week in the opening credits where, where she ends by saying, you know, I will lead the life I choose. She's very much, I'm not going to live by anybody's rules. Uh, this is the life that I, that I want to lead. And I, I really appreciate that, that aspect of, of both the show, because I think that plays into the philosophy of the show as well as Bo as a character. This one has passed the test. It has been witnessed. Child, you may name your side. Neither! I choose humans! In the first episode, at the end, when Bo says, I choose humans, you know, for me that was, that kind of came as a surprise, maybe because I was a new viewer. And I was like, oh, is she going to choose dark or light? But the fact that she said, I choose human, kind of really plays into her protectiveness of Kenzie and how Kenzie helped save her, you know, at the end of that episode. And to me, it's just an unexpected response. She chose, quote unquote, the weaker species instead of the fae. But to me, it was a choice that made me stand up as a viewer and take notice and go, oh. That was kind of unexpected. This is going to be a really unconventional character that won't fit into these rules that have been set up throughout the episode. Dark Fae, Light Fae. So I think this is going to be a really interesting journey. So that was my thought as a new viewer by the end of the episode, going, this is going to be really neat to follow. And what I liked about that moment, too, was she says, you know, well, they they give her the choice, you know, light or dark. And she could have said just neither, but instead she says that she chooses humans, which of course is arguably worse to the Fae than saying neither. Yeah, I was with you, Annie. I was very surprised that she made that addendum. I expected her to say, I choose neither. Like the the entire episode was sort of setting up that plot point. But I was really surprised when she went the extra step and said, I choose humans. And again, I feel like Bo's relationship with with her humans, I shouldn't call them her humans, but Bo's relationship with humans we is, know what you mean. <laughs> is really what separates her and makes her unique from, from sort of the rest of the Fae. Because even though we see, you know, Dyson and Trick and Hale, they, they befriend humans, they work with humans, but they still have moments where sort of some, an- well, maybe not for Hale, but some anti-human sentiment, sentiment comes out, but we never see that with, with Bo. There's a point in the first season where um, Trick says to you know, everybody at the doll, that Kenzie is Bo's claimed human, but Bo never uses expressly those terms to refer to Kenzie, that she's my human or my pet or, you know, the the other derogatory terms that the Fae use to refer to humans. And she never expresses her, you know, when she gets to a relationship with Lauren, she never expresses it to, in those terms to Lauren either. So I think that's really... Just uh, another interesting point is that Bo never talks about humans. Trick kind of especially brought up in season three. 
one of the great, many great bow moments, or bowments, is, uh... <laughs> I just said it because I know Stephanie would laugh. <laughs> anyway, um, but yes, in, in 108, Kenzie says to Bo, uh, gotta pick a team, dude. And so Bo replies, teams are stupid. Which, again, plays into this whole, you know, Bo resistor of binaries and, and all this sort of thing. And and what I find interesting, too, about all of this is that Bo is so full of dichotomies that she is one thing and the other thing. You know, she doesn't want to be... She doesn't want to be or. She wants to be and. Bo is both this and that, and I think... What Tamsin says to her in the bathtub scene in season three is a really good example of that. She says, Exactly. She says, You know, your eyes are both brown and blue. You're virtuous and you're a succubus. You know, Bo is a lot of dichotomies. And, and I think that makes her very interesting as a character. I think, and I know Chris will probably disagree with me and that's okay. But I, I think in season three, we see Bo sort of being a rule breaker, being a resistor of binaries. It gets, translated some of the time into Bo can't make a decision. And I don't think that that's really as true in the first two seasons, but I think we, especially in episode 308, Phage Against the Machine, we see, you know, Bo not knowing which fortune cookie to pick. She she refuses to take the the tarot cards that are offered to her. She picks the one off the top of the stack. So sometimes I think it gets phrased in season three as she's indecisive, but I don't think that that's really... Although I would argue that the tarot card thing is exactly very bow. I mean, because it is pick this one or this one, and bow goes with option number three. That's true. That's and, true. And actually another thing in that same episode, there's the whole setup where Trick has to operate the machine on be- on Bo's behalf. And the way Stella phrases it to him is, oh, you know, Bo is your blood, you'll, or her decisions are derived from you, or some something like this. But I actually always thought that the final decision that Trick has to make is skull or crossbones. And I always thought that Trick did exactly what Bo would have chosen in that moment. Bo would have turned both of the handles. Again, option number three in a two-option situation. So I, I liked that moment. But yeah, some of the other things I I, I will concede are are interpretable as Bo being indecisive. But. Especially the fortune cookie thing, because that wasn't even a choice between two things. I could get it more being more intentional. Oh, Bo won't pick between one or the other. She picks option three. If it hadn't been... I think there were three fortune cookies, or maybe four. So that one, it was a little less... A purposeful, no, she won't pick one or the other. She picks option three and more. She just can't choose a fortune cookie. Although I will argue, what are you supposed to do in that situation? True, true. Well, and remember at the end of that episode, too, you know, when you have the two two mirror images of the cowboy that she has to kill, and she chooses option three when the real one's behind yes, her. Yes, that episode is full of Bo yep. picking option three. I hadn't really thought but about again, it until I this think, moment. I think that was actually oh, the yeah, Skull and Crossbones right. decision, wasn't it? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. But then it still reflects, it still reflects even in other characters and, you know, throughout the series, the, the triangle. Even Lauren is saying at the end of this, at the end of the season, she says, I can't save you both like you couldn't love us both. 
And it's always a question, can Bo love one or both? Or I just keep thinking in season four, it's going to be an option that we just haven't thought of yet when it comes to who does she choose to love or save or whatever. You just made the Bo Tamsin shippers very happy, Annie. (laughs) No! (laughs) I'm Docubus through and through. I don't care if the Tamsin and Bo kick ass together, that's fine. But I like Tamsin, honestly. I love the character. I just don't want to see her Mac on Bo. So another big theme on the series in regards to Bo, which is which is a, a storyline that I really enjoy personally, is Bo as needing redemption for what she did before she knew she was a succubus and knew how to control her powers. One of my favorite scenes for Bo in the entire series, also because Anna Silka is, I think, amazing in this scene, is a scene in episode 210. Uh, Raging Faye where Bo has been confronted by the sister of the first boy that she killed, her boyfriend that she killed. And she's essentially just feel is feeling really guilty about what she did, realizing that humans view her as a monster and just let somebody beat the crap out of her because she was feeling so badly about herself. And Dyson brings her back to his, his apartment and Lauren is there. For a long time, I'd forgotten what I am to humans. A monster. Oh, you're not a monster. I know that. And whatever happened back then, it wasn't your fault. I killed a boy. And then what? Then I ran away. I ran away. That is probably one of my favorite bow moments. Again, Anisilk, I think, is brilliant in in that moment. But I think that's just a really great encapsulation of sort of what motivates Bo for wanting to seek redemption for what she did is just feeling like she was so awful and she wasn't even brave enough to stay there and deal with the fallout. And again, this plays into the whole dichotomy that is Bo, where, you know, here she's essentially murdered a number of people, but but feels so terrible about it. And at the same time, you know, Bo's like a really functional person. <laughs> like she, you know, is is actually pretty upbeat a lot of the time, which I find interesting also. Well, and even at the beginning of the series, when Lauren first tells Bo that she's a succubus, Bo asks, can you fix it? Because she's so still ashamed of what she's done and doesn't know how to control her powers. She thinks being a succubus is something, you know, evil and would really like to be cured of, like it's a disease. So... And she always refers to, like, her tenure killing spree with a huge sense of guilt. 208, she's, you know, when the Lick tries to force her to feed off Lauren, she says, I've left enough innocent bodies in my wake. I'd rather die than live like that again. And I think this whole bow confronting the dark side of her was, of course, a big theme in in, in season three. And she, because she had a couple of moments where, in, in like, in, in episode three or one, Caged Faye, where she's talking to Crick about her her father, and she says, my father was most certainly dark, but what if he was a monster? What does that make me? Uh, so again, you know, even though it's been several years since Bo has killed anybody accidentally, has, you know, basically gotten control of her powers. Well, okay, the whole dark Bo thing. But anyway, her, her usual mostly. powers, her mostly mostly her powers, she's still, one, you know, worrying she's a monster. And, and we see it again, and, and there's Bo Place Like Home, where she goes home, and and her mother confronts her, and you know she says to to Kenzie, "I'm not changing into a monster. I've always been one." 
Um, and it just makes my heart so sad when, when I hear Bo say those things. And she says it kind of a lot, too. She she has frequently referred to herself as a monster. And, and it is one of those things that's so sort of fascinating that she's so worried about this. And, and I think it's one of those great things that they've set up the the community around Bo. Because here's something that Bo has always been worried about, that she's this monster. And Kenzie and Lauren especially being human, and therefore not having to deal with this kind of thing probably ever before. I mean, not Lauren, obviously. Lauren's been dealing with the other Faye. But, but personally, on a personal level, haven't experienced it being so so utterly accepting of Bo and what Bo is. I think that's one of those great things that they've set up that, you know, Bo's so worried about it, but basically Kenzie and Lauren aren't that worried about it because they, you know, often reiterate that they, they trust Bo completely. And I, I really give credit to the writers actually that it is, you know, it is season three and that's still something that motivates Bo because I think sometimes you might see in TV shows where, the initial motivator for a character gets lost pretty quickly. They'll they'll deal with it once, and then oh, the character's fine. But I like that this is something that still haunts Bo even several years into learning who she is, getting control of her powers, etc. And having done so much good, and having done so much good, even like well, even, literally saving the world at the end of season two, and exactly. Bo's still worried about it. Exactly. Well, yeah, she's worried about it because I think it's she knows maybe a part of her knows she might never control that darker side of herself. What if she does kill the people that are closest to her? Or what if she can't bring them back? That might be in the back of her mind as well. But um, going back to um, 307, There's Bo Place Like Home, that episode, I love it so much because it really is kind of a full circle episode for me. Because, you know, the beginning of the episode, she doesn't want to go, but it's part of the training for the dawning. So she's very reluctant to go and face her past you know, to face her adopted mother, which put all that it's kind of religious angle on it very, and shamed her into thinking that her sexuality was a bad thing, that she was a devil child, not just her powers, but just her sexuality as a woman, that everything that she did was evil. And that moment when um, she goes home and, you know, her mother has uh, dementia, but when she kind of comes back to the self that she used to be and she's yelling at Bo, Bo just takes off because she can't handle it. Again, that's Bo's worst fears coming out of, you know, I'm always a monster. I'm never going to be good enough. You know, I'm never going to be able to trust anybody. But then at the end of the episode, when Bo has that speech and forgives her mom and she says she has to let go of her terrible memories and how I'm done reliving them. And then Bo says, I am good. I'm not the devil, Mama. I'm Faye. I'm Bo. And with that, it's just a moment in the series where Bo has come, like I said, full circle and letting go of that part of her past of growing up with a human mom who didn't understand Faye. And maybe she has fully accepted herself as Faye at that point in the series. And I say maybe because, like, you know, as you said, Stephanie, the writers will pr might still bring that in if she has to always live with the thought of, is she a monster? You know, will her powers take over? But I know a lot of people have said it, but, you know, that whole speech at the end of uh, 307, that's my favorite MoMA moment of with Anna and her acting. Because so, I think sometimes people with 
people can look at genre shows and just go, oh, it's just a fantasy show, or oh, it's just special effects, whatever, it's fluff. They don't understand why fans really appreciate the depth of the writing and the acting on these shows. Yeah, that's a good point, Annie, because I don't, I can't think off the top of my head, if any listener out there can think of another example, but I can't think off the top of my head of Bo making another Am I a Monster reference in the remainder of the third season. Can you? Hmm. Either of you? I think so. So I wonder if, if there's Bo Place Night Like Home was the resolution to her feeling like a monster. Or it could be that who knows what, what season four holds. Maybe that will continue to be an issue that Bo has with herself. But, you know, maybe we have seen sort of the conclusion of that, that feeling. Very possible. And, and that is one of those that combined with immediately after that is the dawning. So those two things combined sort of equal Bo coming into her own in a sense. Well, into her fayness, at least. Well, we'll talk about season three more later. But. Open it. I will. You better. I can't. Come on. Throw a pair. It could be a trap. It could be rigged to release DNA unscrambling toxins or house some kind of insect that will breed itself into a worldwide infestation. Or it could send Lauren into the arms of her secret girlfriend. Same diff. It's not even really mine to open. Good point. Then I say we just get rid of it. Throw it out. Set it on fire. Feed it hey. to a troll. Whatever. Hey. That would be underhanded and selfish and none of the things that you are, my darling. I could be those things. Aww. It's good to have dreams, witches. I think part of what contributes to Bo having these these feelings about being a monster is that she's a very and I think Anna Silk actually brings this quality to Bo really well. Is she's a very idealistic, very moral per- person. Tamsin describes her as as virtuous and Bo's Bo's morality is uh is also a really key motivator for her. And part of what I love so much about Anna Silk as Bo is is she is so earnest and brings that earnestness to Bo which Again, for me anyway, really lets me connect with Bo in a way that I don't necessarily with a lot of other, especially fantasy show, lead characters. And having rewatched the pilot episode, which again is episode 8, Vexed, recently, and then going and seeing how Bo kind of changes a bit from that episode, her characterization in that, characterization in that episode, to, to her general characterization in the series... I think actually Anna Silk really influenced that because the bow in, in Vexed is very hard and a little distant from people. She's, she's not as sort of open as the bow that we, we get to know and love through the rest of the series. And I think Anna Silk really brings, brings a lot to that because while I don't think Bo could ever be naive because she's been living on the, living kind of on her own and being really a survivor for several years, I think Bo is though very idealistic still which makes sense giving her upbringing. And I think Anna Silk as an actor really brings that to Bo as a character. I think Bo, you guys bring up a good point that Bo really um, is honest and she may have all these supernatural type fey powers, but she has the honesty and, you know, tries retains the morality of a human most of the time, despite her powers. So I think that's really well portrayed by Anna. I think it was, I don't know, a week ago or something, Stephanie and I actually got into this conversation about how rare an idealistic hero really is. I I went to go see Man of Steel 
I think last week. But I was actually thinking, because I was doing prep for this episode, I was thinking about Bo during Man of Steel, which I'm going to go ahead and say I, I had some issues with as a Superman fan. But anyway, because Superman is such an idealistic hero, and so I was going on this sort of rant, and poor Stephanie had to listen to it. I was I was telling her about, because Stephanie wasn't that familiar with Superman, and so I was trying to explain that the whole thing about Superman is that he is this idealist, and and, you know, does try to stand for what is good and right, and how it it's so interesting, people's reaction to that, because I keep hearing people say stuff like they think Superman is boring, or they can't have interesting stories with Superman, because he is that way, and I never understood that. I always loved Superman for those reasons, that he was such an idealist, and, and so much wanted to be a good and just person, ethical and moral, and, and I see those same things in Poe. The other things have to do with origin story. I mean, Superman was raised by by adoptive parents, essentially. He's an alien sent to Earth uh, and raised by adoptive human parents. hate when that happens. And and basically the same thing happened to Bo, that, you know, here she's basically a superhero, as Foe Kenzie called her, and, and, you know, was raised by these parents who didn't really understand that that's what Bo was and, and therefore couldn't help her with it. Uh, of course, Superman had a much happier outcome of all of this, being the loving people that Jonathan and Martha Kent are. <laughs> Am I showing my nerd colors? Yes, you are. Okay. Uh, <laughs> Proudly wear them. That's Proudly. what I'm here for. <laughs> and, um, but, but yeah, I just, I, I think that it's, it's interesting that that comparison can be drawn, uh, between Superman and Poe. And your ultimate point is Superman is not boring. Bo is not boring. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Idealistic people are not boring. They're they're rare. Yeah. In modern fiction, which bumps me out, but but makes them all the more special at the same time. Because yeah, all the idealistic heroes that I can think of, they have to have this really cynical exterior, but are secret idealists. But I like that Bo wears her idealism on her sleeve. Like no. Things are going to be better. They can be better if we just do this. And I really appreciate about that about her. When I think of a character as too idealistic and, you know, poorly written, then it just becomes a caricature. So, you know, it's a really good balance that Bo has where she retains her humanity, but, you know, has common sense at the same time. But again, it's sort of the, the dichotomy of Bo that all this idealism bordering on blind optimism, but, you know, has had all these horrible things happen to her and has done horrible things to other people. It's interesting to me. So I think some really good examples of of sort of idealistic and virtuous Bo is uh, her reaction to the whole Nadia thing in, in season in season two, where Lachlan comes to her and says, you know, you can save Lauren from or you can save Lauren's girlfriend, here's how you do it. And essentially Bo says, okay, I'm going to go do this thing that is going to take the woman I love out of my reach probably for a while. And, you know, we see toward the end of the episode, Bo come in and see Lauren and Nadia kissing, and she just doesn't say anything, and she walks out. And, oh, that 
I know, and I'm like, time. you're just too damn virtuous for your own good. She'll sacrifice her happiness for it, literally. So that's where it just, yeah, you know, that's heartbreaking to see. For me, it went a little overboard, but, she, you know, she'll do it because it's for the happiness of the woman that she loves. Well, and I think I think ultimately she thought that she was going to get to free Lauren from her obligation to the Fae, which is, of course, not what happened. And I think that is a big motivator for Bo, of course, people being free, people not having to live a life that somebody tells them how to live, which we mentioned before. Um, but I think sometimes her sort of moralistic, idealistic nature can can lead to her being a little bit self-righteous. And I think you also see this in episode 212, where, you know, she pulls out Nadia's cursing nail, and then she starts pulling out all these other cursing nails, and the, the shaman stops her, and she says, you know, these curses weren't made lightly. That that nail is for a man who beats his children every night. Every once in a while, Bo, who gets, she gets so motivated in doing the right thing and thinking she knows what the right thing is that she kind of gets a little off track and a little self-righteous. I could argue the same thing happens at the end of 301, uh, when she defeats the or gets rid of the Amazons, rather. She she opens up the cell doors for all of the prisoners. Right. Right. Because we don't know what, what put those prisoners there. The, some of those women could have been there for doing horrible things. Which they did resolve later in the episode. Let they me, did. They let did. me say. But. They did. Hale did, did mention, did resolve that. But you're, you're right. That's a good example where Bo just thinking these people have been used. This isn't right. I'm freeing all of you. And not really thinking about the larger consequences of that action, perhaps. You know what? This is our first fight. Our first real fight. Mazel tov. It's like we're real life sisters. We're walking by, I agree, you're such a nerd. So, because we're big nerds, obviously. We're doing a podcast, of course <laughs> we're big nerds. Uh-huh. <laughs> we love nerdy Bo. We love that Bo, who is like <laughs> supposed to be this you know, super smooth succubus can get into anybody's pants. She's kind of awkward sometimes, and it's rather delightful. Um, and I and I love Nerdy Bo. I love when she doesn't say quite the right thing. Like I know some people don't particularly like this scene, but like where she makes that really awkward threesome comment when she's sitting with Lauren and Dyson. I love that moment for Bo. I'm like, oh, Bo, I totally would have done the same thing. <laughs> time for jokes no. but especially not that one <laughs> probably a bad decision but but again i think that like humanizes her she's not this you know super suave woman she she has her awkward moments where she doesn't she says exactly the wrong thing sometimes <laughs> i also love Bo when she oh i forget the name of this character he's on a couple of times in season two he has kind of a strange street name it's one of kenzie's street friends who mm. Who who hits on her really really obnoxiously every time he sees her, but he he comes to them because his 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 grand grand has been taken advantage of by by this adunct this preacher adunct and and Bo says something like to the effect of it be his grand grand kids. <laughs> she can't say that. <sighs> oh, Bo. <laughs> And somebody, Ace of Flamingos, which is a, a great new WordPress blog that's that's reviewing Lost Girl episodes from the beginning, aceofflamingos.wordpress.com. She brought up recently, and I hadn't really thought about it before, that the show really seems to portray Bo as a reader. Like, we see her reading a self-help book. She she makes, like, a, a Les, Les Miserables reference in, in 301. 
in Fade Day, episode 109, she gets really excited when she starts reading about La Shane and all the history of it and how amazing the sacrifice the Blood King gave. And I just, I just, I like that, that aspect of Bo's personality, but I hadn't really made that connection before that, that they are kind of showing, hey, Bo reads. And there was that scene too in, um, 201, I think, where she's reading the book that, that, uh, I think Trick or Lauren had given her while Lauren's napping on the couch. And, and again, there's another thing, you know, Lauren napping on the couch, mumbling isotopes in her sleep. And what's Bo's response? Bo kind of, kind of smiles, smiles and goes her. back to her studying. And, and Kenzie walks in later and Bo tells her, you know, I figured out whatever the thing was. And, and Kenzie kind of just, looks at her, you know, how? And, and Bo's Bo response, because I'm super, super smart. smart. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, I wonder if it's not sort of nerdy Bo that, that draws her to, to geeky Lauren. I would not be surprised. And, and that Bo so appreciates Lauren and her geeking out all the time. And yes. So we got some feedback from listener Cleo P527, and she had some comments about how Bo kind of evolved in her relationships with humans during season three. And here, here is part of the email that she sent us. It says, Are Bo's relationships with her, humans, the real heart of the show? It seems to me that Lost Girl started out with the premise of Bo's humanity and her connections to Kinsey and Lauren as the Faye's only hope for the future, but progressively abandoned that theme and began presenting Bo as increasingly Faye-oriented. Bo begins hanging out with a new crowd and neglects her old friends. Bo still loves Kinsey and Lauren as individuals, of course, but does her shift also imply her growing indifference to all things human? Now, I do think it's fair... To say that we do see Bo grow apart from her her human companions, there's a distinct lack of Kenzie in the later part of season three, and obviously she grows. She and Lauren get out of sync to the point where Lauren feels like they need to take a break in her relationship. But that, what do you think, Chris? Do you think that they are angling toward Bo severing her relationship with humans? Absolutely not. I think it's all as it's sort of, I mean, this is all true that she is sort of growing apart from them, except I think it's more, you know, completely unintentional on Bo's part. I mean, it's obviously intentional on the writer's part. To me, this is a midpoint that in, in the story and it's sort of a, a weird thing. The, the big issue I have at least is that season three left in a left off in a really weird place. It does make for a pretty good cliffhanger in the sense that we really don't know what's going on, but at the same time to leave off for like nine months at this point is I think pretty questionable because there are too many questions. And, and I, I keep seeing commentary on the internet. People are pretty bothered by where it has left off and, and with everything sort of in limbo like it is, and especially her relationships, her meaning Bo, relationships with Lauren and Kenzie, especially being Bo's humans, so to speak, the human contingent of her, her posse. Basically, here's, here's what I'm predicting this storyline is. And cause to me, it, it reads very clearly this way. People disagree with me, but that's fine. So basically, I think coming out of the dawning, she's 
you know, all this, this burden has been lifted off of her. She's doesn't have to worry about literally becoming a monster anymore. She, she feels more secure in her power. And that's why we see her being so sort of cavalier about stuff, especially in 310. And I know people are, are sort of up in arms about Bo being this way, but, but I think it's understandable. And I mean, yes, I have issues with the way that she's essentially taking Kenzie and Lauren's place in her life. She's taking them for granted. And I mean, I, I fully acknowledge that. And I, I think it's just one of those things that because all season everything had been sort of weighing so heavily on Bo and, and been so focused on her that she sort of didn't realize that it was happening and sort of doesn't know how to mentally shift out of that. Did I just go way off track there at some point? <laughs> Somebody else talk now. Somebody help me. I think... Bo shifting away from her humans was a definite was definitely purposeful on the writer's part. And I think that this is <coughs> Bo's story kind of following a very following a very classic pattern of a hero's journey where a hero tends to at some point get diverted by something. Thank and you. That is where I was going with this before <laughs> I got myself way off track. <laughs> Thank you. Thank so, you for stirring it back on. You're track. welcome. You're welcome. So I think this is just kind of part of Bo's hero's journey is she is she's finally had this burden lifted off of her of of feeling like she's going to be a monster and at least temporarily the dawning makes her feel like she's not going to be a monster the way that she fears and so she's kind of lost herself a little bit and and so I think what's going to happen my prediction anyway in season four is Bo's maybe going to encounter some darker aspects of the Fey world, which 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 will push her back toward humans and her and her alliance and her love and her belonging with humans. So that's that's my theory. I could be I could be wrong. No, I like that theory because I think you know Bo still doesn't know everything about the Fey world, and I think. I don't know if Chris Holden Reed hinted at one of the conventions he went to, you know, we're going to see aspects of the Fey world that we've never seen. And I always love the dichotomy of the light and the dark Fey doesn't necessarily refer to good and evil. The light Fey seem to be as quote unquote evil as one can get um, in terms of how they treat humans, treat each other. I always think that the Fey are have so much more to explore and so much more that Bo doesn't know about. So yeah, to be pushed back to the human world, you know, or they could do, you know, who knows the Faye could do something that Bo finds unforgivable that could push her back to the human world. But I like what some people, you know, a couple of commenters of people have been saying on the internet. It's like, well, now that she has lost Lauren or Kenzie, she has to learn to appreciate them. She has to earn them back. She has to earn their trust back again, which is going to be really difficult. You know, I'm really curious to see how it's going to go. You throw one, you know, Valkyrie in the mix, and that just kind of throws everything for a loop, too. So that'll be really fascinating. And I think even though I, I agree that Bo, Bo's relationship with her humans became weaker, became frayed, we still end season three with her in, in, in episode 313, you know, pushing Kenzie out of the way because she was worried Kenzie was going to get shot. 
going to Isaac's compound because she was looking for Lauren, <clears throat> telling Lauren, I know who you are. I love you. So I feel like there's, there's still a lot of hope for Bo. It's not like she has completely abandoned Kenzie and Lauren. I think she's just sort of distanced herself from her, from them unintentionally. Oh yeah. I completely agree. Yeah. And I think, you know, when Lauren says you came here for Dyson and she says, I came here for you both. You're the one that I love how in that moment when Bo sees Lauren, she rushes to her. So it's really shown in her actions and in that screen direction. So thank you, Cleo, Cleo, for sending in that feedback. You can send in feedback as well. You can do so by either emailing us at feedback at drinksatthedoll.com. You can go to the show notes for this episode, episode seven, and leave a comment there. You can also send us a voice message by clicking the link at the bottom of the show notes that says send us a voice message. Or you can call our listener voicemail line at 972 914-7223. And like I mentioned, this episode was the first in a series that we're doing on each of the main characters on the show. And we are looking for contributors for this series. If there is a character on the show that you really love, we would love to have you on the show to talk about that character. We are also planning to do an episode on the love triangle. I don't know why I have to say it like that, but I do. I think you do. I think I do. It's the love love triangle. triangle. And uh, we'd like to talk with both a Bo and Lauren and a Bo and Dyson shipper. So if you are really invested in either of those couples, we would love for you to contact us. I will include information about being a contributor in the show notes for this episode at drinksofthedoll.com. That information will be in the show notes for episode seven. Contributing is fun, you guys. And if you guys don't do it, they'll have to have me on again. So. I know. And do you really want to listen to Chris Babble again? I don't think you do. <laughs> Thanks so much for that, Stephanie. <laughs> that being said, thank you so much for being on the show, Chris. Oh, my feelings. Um, I take back the thing I said about it being fun. (laughs) It was fun. It's not now. No, but in all seriousness, thank you, Chris, for being a guest on the the show. Thank you. And you could follow Chris on Twitter at ChrisGen. That's K-R-I-S-G-E-N. Thank you for sticking around to the end of this episode. I know it's a bit longer than usual. And... Sorry we got a little giggly there in the middle. And believe it or not, we were not drunk. We, I think we were just tired and we got a, got a little loopy. But we had a lot of fun recording the episode. Hopefully you had fun listening to it. Thank you so much for listening. Cheers. Cheers.